Praise the Lord. For those of you who were here last week, you recall that I did a sermon called Clay in the Master's Hand. Amen? From the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. And if you notice here on the slide, it shows that the text scripture this week is also Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. And that is not by coincidence, nor did I forget. It's just that the Lord, I thought I was done last week. He said, nope, there's another aspect of this that you need to share. So last week, it was called Clay in the Master's Hand. And we talked about where are you on the wheel as the potter is molding, massaging, and squeezing different things to shape you into who you're called to be. Where are you on the wheel? We also talked about God trying to equip and deputize you when he calls you his workmanship and ordains you or fits you in advance to do something. We talked about, uh, or we asked the question, are you still marred? Because it talked about the clay being marred on the wheel, but the potter reshaping it and pulling out lumps. So are you still marred? Do you allow the, the potter to pull the lumps out, or are you holding on to your lumps? Then we ask about your flexibility. Can the Lord mold you? Or are you saying, I'm the author and finisher of how I'm going to be defined and molded. And when you try to squeeze me, I'm going to fight back and say, you can't squeeze me. You can't mold me. You can't shape me. And then finally, we talk about if you are in the place where you've accepted the molding of the Lord, can he continually reshape you? You know, In other words, is it a one-time shaping that the Lord can do? And once he does this, this is how I'm going to be the rest of my Christian walk with him? Or can God come back over and over again in different phases or cycles of your life to reshape you? So this week, the Lord showed me as I was praying that a lot of stuff last week was about who we are and where we're at and what we're willing to take. This week, we're going to see some of the heart of the potter as he looks at the process of it. Because I think a lot of times we focus on the clay and the wheel. But do we truly focus on the potter himself and how he views it? And there are going to be some aspects of us in this, but we are going to see more of the potter himself and his heart towards the clay. Amen? Hallelujah. So let's read the text scripture. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we thank and praise you, Father, for the opportunity once again to partake of your word. And we ask you, Father, to speak into our hearts and minds. Lord, fill us with understanding of your word. We ask you, Father, to allow us to fully grasp it, that it would... Uh, govern our thoughts and our emotions, that it would guide us through every day of our lives. We praise you, Father, especially during the times of difficulty, that it would strengthen us and empower us. It would enable to, us to sustain the storms of life, and it would quicken us or energize us, Father, as we would need it. We praise and thank you, Father, for this. And, Father, if we're in the process, we're actually we're all continually in the process. Lord, we just ask you that if we're in that process right now where maybe it's uncomfortable, that you would show us the areas in which we need to let you work as only you can see fit. And we ask you, Lord, to 
just forgive us for any resistance that we may have given you in terms of our molding and refining process. And we thank you, Father, for the finished result, which is going to be more beautiful than anything we can even imagine. We thank you and praise you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. So today we're talking about the heart of the potter. And if you recall last week, Jeremiah the prophet was instructed to go down to the potter's house to observe what was going on there. And this was not just something that God said, well, I don't have anything I really need the prophet to do today, so I'll just send him down to learn artwork. No, he had a purpose and a plan in terms of instructing him to go there because God was basically going to allow the potter and what was occurring on the will to demonstrate to him that the same thing the potter is doing to the clay on that wheel as it rotates around, it's similar to the process that I am doing in the people of Israel right now. So during the time when Jeremiah went, went down to the potter's house, it was a period in which if you were to look at what God had promised for them and then take into consideration the purposes that God for, had for Israel, it would seem that everything had utterly failed. Amen? The situation was bleak. Things looked bad. Um, but one of the things that is really important for us to understand here is that similar to the potter who was working and reshaping and pulling out lumps of that clay on the wheel, he could have just said, you know what, this one is too lumpy, I'll toss it to the side, and I'll get myself another block of clay that is easier to work with. But instead, we see that the potter had a lot of patience. He kept working with this thing. I'm going to make something out of it. I see in my mind and my eyes what I want it to be. So even though there might be a little bit hard to work with and it's resisting me in terms of what I want to do and it's lumpy when it should be smooth, I'm patient enough that I won't just discard that thing which isn't what I want it to be. Instead, I'm going to keep working and reshaping it until I make it what I want it to be. Amen? And as we consider ourselves being clay in God the potter's hand isn't that a great thing to see that God just won't throw you away discard you throw you in the trash heap or in the garbage pail because you are not what he wants you to be right now but instead God says I'll continue to work with you and work with you and reshape you you got a lump here wait a minute I thought I got that one up oh, there's another lump oh I get this lump out and next you know the wheel circles around oh it's a bigger lump but God is still patient enough to keep working and working and working with us. Amen? God's got a lot more patience than we do with people. <laughs> Amen? And we're going to look at a couple of verses relating to this. First one, Psalms 86, 12 through 15. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul, and have not set thee before them. But thou, our Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. Wow, God is a God that is full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. Sounds like the direct opposite of how we are sometimes with people. Because, you know, people will do something and they'll get on your nerves and you're ready to just kick them to the curb. Or, you know, you might hold a grudge or you might have bitterness or, or different things. But thank God, as we 
look at our relationship with our heavenly potter, God himself, that instead of being hard-hearted, we see that when we stumble and fall, he doesn't sit there and criticize and point the finger, but he has compassion for us. He looks down and says, okay, well, you messed up again, but let's see how we can fix this situation. Amen? We see here that it says he's gracious. A gracious person will look beyond your faults or look around your faults. And a lot of times, if you've ever encountered somebody that seems to be very gracious, people could do a lot of things. And whereas most people have low tolerance for their behavior or say, I've had enough, a person that really operates in the gift of grace will say, well, you just don't understand. Or maybe we need to look at it from their point of view or you don't know what they've been through. Amen. God is a gracious God. He isn't sitting there pointing a finger, pointing a finger and judging us harshly. But instead, he is very gracious unto us. It talks about God being long-suffering. And that's a word that's really a combination, long and suffering. God is long-suffering. But here's the thing, suffering with you and I. We are the ones that are the cause of him going through this suffering process. Amen. <laughs> we look at sometimes people and how they behave themselves and how we try to guide them in the right direction and we try to get them straight or steer them right or advise them and tell them what they need to do. And when you tell somebody that they need to do ABC and they continue to do XYZ, after a while you get to the point where, you know what, I'm just not going to waste my time with them or I'm not going to waste my breath on them anymore. They're not going to listen anyway, so forget it. The next time I see them about to trip themselves up, let them trip. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. I'm just going to mind my business so that they don't get on my last nerve. Thank God once again that he is not like that. He is long suffering. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and plenteous in mercy and truth. Plenteous. He has more mercy and, of course, truth than we can ever compare. And one of the reasons that why. You know, we look at situations with people, a lot of times we get tired pretty quickly of them. Or maybe we go through weeks or months or you go through years in a relationship where you finally get to the point where you've had enough and you say, you know, I just had it with that person. I'm done. Once again, I'm not going to waste my time with that situation. So why is it that God has so much patience with us? Amen. We can actually see this from the word of God. Second Peter 3, 8 and 9 says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we get tired pretty quickly with people when they keep acting up or they're annoying you know, you get to the point where your annoyance meter is starting to hit the, the heavy side and the needle's about to break and you're about to explode at that person. But we see here, God is very patient because we might look at somebody and say, I've been trying to get them straight or teach them or guide them for five years and they're never going to change. God looks at it as, as if I go a thousand years, work with that person, it's only one day. <laughs> I'm willing to give them a day. So, None of us can even last as long as what God will consider one day. So even though he has to work and work and work with you over the course of your lifetime, and this is, this is a process that might go from you know, 25 to 100 years, in the midst of that time, as God sees it, 
it's a relatively short period of time. So we might say, hey, I was 100 years old, you know, when this flesh goes and I still didn't get it right. God said, no, you've only been here about five days, (laughs) a week, something like that. So he's long-suffering and willing to work with us. As a matter of fact, it says he is long-suffering where? To us-ward. Long-suffering to us-ward. In other words, it's directed to you and I. It's personal. Amen? God's not just arbitrarily throwing it out there like, oh, I got a lot of grace and mercy. But he says that he is long-suffering to us-ward. It's targeted directly to us. On a personal note, God has enough mercy for each one of us uniquely and individually that it's not a case where people act. You know, one time you may have a day where somebody gets on your nerves, and once that person gets on your nerves, you've got a chip on your shoulder the rest of the day toward everybody else. Amen? But fortunately with God, since it's to us word, his grace and mercy, he not only has it for this person or that person, but he has that grace and mercy towards everyone. Amen? Hallelujah. Towards everyone. And so that's a good thing. You might get on the nerves of an individual, and then that person has a chip on their shoulder the rest of the day, or saying they have a bad day, but with God... Just because one person does something wrong doesn't mean he's got an attitude with everybody else for the remainder of the day. It's unique to each one of us. And that's another blessed thing. Now, as we're looking at the potter, once again, and him molding, squeezing, refining, stripping, and getting lumps out of the clay, one of the things that the Lord put on my heart is the composition of the clay itself. Because a lot of times we just say, okay, the potter, the clay, and the wheel, squeeze, shape, maybe take a piece of plastic and draw lines in, cut lines into it, put it in the oven, and here you got a vase or whatever he makes out of it, a brick or something like that. But do we truly, truly look at the clay itself? What is the clay composed of? So I looked at that, and as I was reading up on it, I, I observed or I learned that clay goes through various processes to prepare it for use. And what people fail to realize a lot of times is that even though uh, you see clay, and children are accustomed with Play-Doh and stuff like that, uh, you, 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 you can squeeze it, you can break off pieces, you can shape it how you want to, but a lot of times people don't realize that clay actually is composed of harsh, hard stones such as flint that are ground down to the finest pot powder. So even though it's clay and it's very pliable, it actually has rocks in it. Amen? And this mixture of, of clay and flint that is ground down, it gets churned with water until it becomes a fluid mass. They start churning it around and they're churning it around. You know, they, they take the, the original clay and they grind down the, the flint stones to powder. And then they mix the two together and put in some water and they start stirring it. And it becomes this fluid mass that later on they strain to get out the excess water. Then they pass it by magnets to uh, basically pull some of the iron residue that's in it out of the, the clay. Then they finally fill it into bags that are placed onto a, a press to squeeze out as much water as possible. But the thing is, because the process is imperfect, they might grind a lot of stones and say, we want the clay to be totally smooth. But it's usually the, the, the stones themselves that are ground up, that as you churn it, 
you know, it's almost like you're um, baking a cake and you start stirring it up. But if you don't hit every part of that flour, you might have a lump here and there. The same thing happens with the clay. But in the case of maybe the cake batter or the pancake batter, you have some flour or pancake mix that makes a lump and it's very easy to break up with a spoon. With clay, when you're churning it up and mixing it around, if those particles of, of flint stone, which is very hard, get together, you got a hard lump. Amen? That truly, truly resists the process of being massaged and being molded into what the, the potter envisions it to be. So anyway, the Lord had me look at a few things about the composition of the clay. The first one is Mark 8, 10 through 15. And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall be no sign given unto this generation. And he left them and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Now to ask yourself, what is that leaven? As I talked about the composition of natural clay, one of the things that we see a lot of times is that the clay, because it has flint stones in it, flint stones, two separate words, not the cartoon flint stones. I made it funny. Because it has flint stones ground up into powder that sometimes aren't churned up right and it produces hard lumps that you have to get out, you know, one of the things that we have that is a flint stone that makes hardness in our hearts is the leaven that gets in there from unbelief. And that's why Jesus said, watch out as the potter's trying to refine you and mold you and mature you and point you in the direction that he wants you to go in. And sometimes he wants to reprove you or do different things into your life to speak to you. Jesus warned here, he said, don't allow the leaven or the lump of unbelief to get into your hearts. Because the Pharisees were full of the word of God. But they didn't have the spirit of the word of God. Amen. And that's why the more they saw in Jesus, the harder their hearts got. Amen. Because he did not represent the things that they wanted, which was fame, power, prominence before the people, walking around with, low, with um, robes on and things like that, and having people bow down and basically worship you. Jesus was the exact opposite. Somebody that walked in humility, somebody who loved people so much that he would violate the laws of the land to heal somebody when they were like, hey, you can't do that on a Sunday. Or, or, I mean, sorry, on a Sabbath. Amen? So Jesus said, these people are struggling with the leaven or the lump of unbelief in their hearts. And he warned his followers that you need to avoid the same thing. So there's times in our life where God is trying to speak and say, I want you to do this or I want you to do that. I'm trying to get this part of your life changed or I need to get this out of your life. Sometimes we have the unbelief of, can God possibly do that? Amen? Other times we struggle with the fact that, well, God, if I do what I feel you're telling me to do, I'm going to lose out on all these things or I have to walk away from these different things. And we're afraid to abandon something that we're familiar with to walk into something new that is unknown and maybe a little fearful. 
So God, in terms of how we're composed in our hearts and in our minds, he wants us to be free of the lumps or the leaven of unbelief. Amen? Is that part of your composition, in other words? (laughs) Do you have the lump of unbelief in your heart? Now, the second thing we're going to look at from that is 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 7. It is commonly reported that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that thee that have done that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in the body but present in spirit, has judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. But even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So we see here that there's two types of spiritual leaven or emotional leaven that can be in the heart of the believer. One is the leaven uh, or the impurity of unbelief. These are sort of things that as God is molding you and trying to mature you, as he's trying to shape you and your life to be what he has envisioned, God tries to work these things out of you. And he may allow you to go to certain things that will try your faith and test your faith to teach you new things about his nature. Amen? But on the side of the coin, you also see that there's the leaven of sin. Amen? In this case, they're talking about fornication, but there's also other sins that are out there. Greed. Amen? That's one. Pride, covetousness, fear, worrying. There's different things. Regardless of what it is, God says he wants anything that is contrary to his nature and his word to be purged out of us that we could be a new lump that is able to be totally pliable and moldable before our Lord Jesus Christ. So are we willing to do that? Amen. What is the composition of who you are spiritually? Are you suffering with unbelief? Are you suffering with some secret sin or some vice that you don't want to let go of? Or you're fearful about letting go of? God wants us to work on all these things so we can have them purged out. See, here's the thing. The potter, when he was shaping something on the wheel, he's not taking lumps out of it because he just gets a thrill out of, you know, beating and bruising and ripping out of the clay. He has in his head something he's envisioned that is going to be a work of art. Amen. Or something that's very useful after the completed product is finished. So he's not doing it because he's just an abusive person. He wants to bring something out of you that will make you fully equipped to be of use. So it's up to us to examine ourselves and say, is there anything within me, anything that I'm composed of that is hindering me from being the finished product? that God has envisioned for my life. Amen? Hallelujah. Next thing I want to talk about is the resistance of the clay. Which we've done a little bit already, but we're going a little deeper. Um, As Jeremiah watched the potter working with the clay, it seemed like there was a hidden defect that was resisting the potter's guidance of the clay upon the wheel. 
as well as the pressure that he was applying to mold it into the shape that he wanted. And really, this is similar to Israel's rejection of God's plan that they would be a nation of priests that would glorify him before other nations. You know, the clay seemed to say that even though you want to make me an urn or you want to make me into a brick or you want to make me into something else, I'm resisting you. I want to hold on to my, my lumps. I want to keep that which is imperfect within me. And what they, the clay, you know, in this case, it, the clay had no idea, am I going to be a, a vase? Am I going to be a brick? Am I going to be, you know, something underpinning a support? Am I going to be cookware? You know, am I going to be something else? Am I going to be used by a child to make things to play with? You know, clay doesn't know what it's being made into. It just has a choice of am I going to be moldable and pliable or am I going to resist the one who's trying to shape me? And the thing is, the potter there that was working before Jeremiah, we don't know whether he's making a vase for a king or whether he was shaping a water jug that a woman could bring water from a well. Amen. But the effect is the same. Resistance to the potter causes the process to be either rendered null and void or it limits what the thing's capability would be in terms of its creation or it makes the process lengthier and more pressure-filled filled than it would have to be otherwise. Amen? So in other words, the potter might get you there, but he might have to work with you a lot longer and a lot harder to finally shape you into what he wants you to be. And in some cases... The potter might say, hey, if this thing didn't have so many lumps, I will make a vase in it. But because I got to pull so many lumps out of it, you know what? Maybe I'll make something a little smaller once I'm done pulling out all the lumps. Hebrews 3, 8 through 13 says, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works. 40 years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. All right, so. We see here that you have the choice. Each one of us is clay on the will of the potter. Amen. We have a choice whether or not we're going to yield to the process and allow him to mold us and shape us as he desires. Or we can say, no, I don't want to be what you've called me to be. I want to be what I've envisioned for my own life. We see here that when you allow that to happen, Israel hardened their hearts against God in the wilderness. They started creating false gods. They started doing things that were contrary to his word. Because of that, they were in the wilderness for years and years, and a lot of them didn't make it into the promised land. And their hearts became so hard that they even opposed, well, if they opposed God, of course they would oppose Moses or anybody else who was yet to come. So we see here, it cost them, and the end result, as God looked at them, and said they saw my works for 40 years, he said he was grieved with that generation. I'm sure none of us wants to grieve the potter as he looks at our lives. Man, I'm grieved. I just can't get them to, to, to yield to what I'm trying to do in their life. Amen? So it says we need to exhort one another daily, 
lest we be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And actually before that, it says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you within any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Now I looked at that word in the underlying Greek. That word evil means hurtful in effect or influence. Hurtful in effect or influence. Calamitous, vicious, here's a bad one, diseased. (laughs) Diseased, derelict, morally culpable or guilty. God says he doesn't want any of us to have an evil heart of unbelief. So that's how he looks at that. If you have unbelief, and I'm not talking about normal unbelief. In some cases, unbelief is good for you. If somebody tells you, do crack cocaine, you'll love it. Well, it's not an evil heart of unbelief to say, that's not for me. I want no part of that ever. That's a good unbelief. If somebody tries to steer you away from God and tell you somebody else is Lord and Savior and there's another way to salvation, Having a heart of unbelief in what they're saying in that area is a good heart of unbelief. But the kind of unbelief that God is talking about is that when I make you aware of my ways and as I try to mold and refine your life and you refuse to yield to that and you say, I don't even think this is what you've called me to do or what you've called me to be. That is where God's saying that unbelief is an evil thing. Because you're fighting up against the creator who knows the ideal and perfect thing that he wants to establish in your life. So we see here he calls it evil, hurtful in effect and influence, calamitous. It's going to result in ruin at times. It's vicious, it's disease, it's derelict, it's morally guilty or culpable. Amen? And I think one of the reasons that he calls it hurtful in effect or influence is that sometimes if we refuse to yield to what the Lord wants to do in our lives, we a lot of times may influence somebody else to do the same. So that's where it becomes hurtful, not only in what you're doing to yourself, but now you're spreading that same mentality into the life of somebody else. So God refers to it as an evil heart of unbelief. Now the word unbelief itself means faithlessness. Disbelief, I'm sorry, negative disbelief from a want or lack of Christian faith, unfaithfulness, and disobedience. So God refers to it as faithlessness, a lack of Christian faith, disobedience. God says avoid any of these things. And, and here's the thing. If you allow the evil heart of unbelief to take a hold in your, in your heart, in your mind, and you start allowing it not only to affect you, but also to spread into the lives of other people, he basically says all of you will get to the place where you are hardened in your heart and mind through the deceitfulness of sin. In other words, you'll start to get entrapped in sin, and what is impure and corrupt will start to become natural to you. Amen? All right, we're going to look at what God says also in Jeremiah 5, 1 through 4. Run you to and fro from the streets of Jerusalem and see now and know and seek in the broad places thereof. If you can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. And though they say the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. 
Therefore I said, Surely these are poor, they are foolish, for they know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. Hallelujah. All right, so we see here that, you know, basically we can get to the place where our faces, our minds, our hearts get harder than a rock. God's trying to make us more open, more flexible, teachable. I mean, David talked about creating me a new heart. Teach me your ways, O Lord. His whole mindset was the mindset of a student. Matter of fact, when David would say, teach me your ways, O Lord, when he was talking about that, he was thinking about the oriental method of discipline. And a lot of us in this day and age are not aware of what the oriental uh, mode of discipline was. And as parents, most of us would not allow that to occur in the lives of our, of our children. What they did with more oriental uh, discipline is if you misbehave, and I guess the most recent thing was probably the Catholic Church, if you misbehave or weren't paying attention, they come over, whack, and literally give you a whack with a roar or something like that to get your attention. <laughs> but we see here that God is basically saying and warning us that we want to avoid being in a place where our minds and our hearts get hard as a rock and we're no longer moldable before the presence of the Lord. God will try to speak to you in a still small voice. God will try to speak to you in your dreams and through his word and through songs. And I've experienced a number of times that even being outside in nature, God teach me things about his self. But if you allow yourself to get to the place where your heart is hard and you are stubborn in your heart, that's one of the most um, difficult things for even God himself to work with. Amen? Because we've seen a number of times in the Bible from cover to cover where people were destroyed or people were severely hindered from God's planned destiny for their life because they became hardened in their hearts. So he's warning us. Amen? It's, there's times when you need to stand your ground. Peer pressure, people trying to get you to, you know, uh, relinquish or renounce your faith, people wanting you to um, go along with the crowd and do those things which are inordinate or ungodly, there's times to be stubborn and stand your ground. But when it comes to God himself trying to mold you and make you into what he desires for your life, and here's the thing, it's not a one-shot deal. Just because you get the spiritual maturity doesn't mean that, okay, I've arrived, God's no longer working on me. I truly believe that as long as you're in this fleshly body, there's something new that you can learn, and there's also something else that God can do to improve you. Amen? God's the one that's perfect. You know, if we say we're perfect, we never need to change. You're basically saying, I'm God then. If you're perfect, you must be God. <laughs> I know in my life, it ain't never going to happen. Amen? <laughs> never, never, never. I got too many kinks that still need to be worked out. But the thing I like about it is that really having the mindset, I call myself a perpetual student. A lifelong student. I'm always trying to learn something. You know, and sometimes in the, in the process of doing that learning, you see some things about yourself that need to be improved or adjusted. Amen. Sometimes you see stuff and said, man, I can't believe I did that years ago. Now I see like, whoa, that was really stupid. You know, that's part of the growing process. But I think that's an exciting thing. You know, because when you have the mindset of a student and somebody that's still willing to be flexible and adapt, that's an exciting thing where you learn something new that can only improve your life. And if it draws you closer to God and improves your relationship with him, that's icing on the cake. Amen? Icing on the cake. Hallelujah. All right, now I want to look at the handiwork of the potter. We talked about the resistance. 
We talked about the composition of the clay. And one of the things that he brought to my mind is that as Jeremiah was observing the potter, he was molding the clay, and it seemed like he was failing in the process, and he kept just going back and forth and back and forth and massaging, and the wheel spinning, and his hands are getting filthy, and, you know, pieces are probably flying off as he's putting, you know, uh, wood or things in there to shape it and to put lines in it, and he's grabbing out lumps. So at a certain time, it almost seems, as Jeremiah is observing this, that, Maybe this potter just doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, he keeps reworking and reworking, and maybe he's failing because it's his fault. <laughs> Amen? But one of the things I really learned, and I think he ended up realizing, is that even though the process might take a while, and it might take longer to shape one thing than another, the potter himself is actually very artistic and, and gifted. And just because... Some people take longer to go through the process of growth and maturity and getting to where they need to position doesn't mean that God has lacked the talent or the vision to perfect that what he's doing in the life of somebody. Amen? And I think sometimes we look at how God has shaped us and molded us and, okay, well, this part of my life I was able to do in one year. So if I know if somebody else is going through a similar process, well, why is he in year number three? What's wrong with him? I mean, God hasn't failed. That's what I can say. God has not failed. It's just that the process might take a little longer, once again, because the composition of the clay might have more flint or hardness in it due to life experiences than somebody else's clay. Amen? Even, even in the composition of my yard, we have clay in our yard. And there's times where I remember when we first moved to the house, we have like two uh, flower beds out front. And when I first came up, and uh, you know, the first spring after we got there, I wanted to put some flowers in. And when I first got I was just like, why did the guy put all these rocks out here? So I started moving the rocks out of the way, and I started digging down. And I started digging down, I started getting annoyed because as I was digging down, I kept hitting rock after rock after rock with my, sho- with my sh- um, shovel. And then as I started to make some headway, and I got a lot of rocks out of the way, I started digging. Then it's like, okay, I've gone from rock after rock after rock to root after root after root. Because I have a, a holly tree out front, and even though the tree is positioned in one spot, those roots have gone down deep and intertwined themselves all up underneath it. And then when you talk about the soil itself being composed of a lot of clay, it might be good for certain things, but it's not the best soil for putting down plants. Amen? So, sometimes it doesn't seem like this is the great thing to work with or the best thing to work with, but at the end of the day, it's up to the diligence and the vision of the potter to say, I want to keep working this thing until it becomes what I need it to be. As I was working with the flower bread out front, you know, it got to a point where I was like, I'm about to give up on any form of plants being here. But I had to learn, like, okay, if I do this or that, I can make a little adjustments. I could dig something off. I could try miracle grow and things like that. I got to the place where I was able to experience some success in terms of having some plants out front. But it was a process. <laughs> a process. Amen. Thank God for the potter we serve 
who's very insightful, very gifted. He's the ultimate architect, the, the ultimate artist. Amen. And he only produces masterpieces. We need to thank him for that. And see, sometimes we say, well, what is he really seeing, man? I just went to the book of Psalms and just look at how he looks at us. Psalm 8, 3 through 9. When I, consider, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visiteth him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and have crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field. The fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. I just love that. I mean, just think about that. The potter, you know, that he saw at the potter's house was working the clay. He's literally, he wasn't just doing some smooth manufacturing process where he takes solid blocks of clay and throws it in the machine, pushes a button, and then comes out uh, a fully shaped vase with all the lumps out, and it's totally pure, and he doesn't get his hands dirty. The potter that he saw at that house was getting his hands dirty, all up in the mix of that squeezing, and clay's all over the place, and it's all over his hands, and once he's done, he has to clean his hands and, you know, wash them off. But he had the, the skillfulness, and he had the love for his craft that he actually got his hands into their work. And look what we see here with creation itself. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers. God is working this stuff. Amen. He's looking down on it. He's loving the thing that he's producing and manufacturing. He's loving the process of manufacturing and molding and refining. And as we saw last week, squeezing, if necessary, the clay that is you and I to produce out of us what he needs us to be. And even the angels themselves, we see here in this passage of Scripture, they looked, at, they looked at the process of God visiting with Adam in the garden or God, you know, interacting with man and looking down upon man and seeing them and pouring out his heart and love. And one of the things that the angel said, this is an angel speaking, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visited him? The angels are amazed because they're like, Wait a minute, this is a triune God who has built the universe, but yet he's taking himself down or looking down upon these lowly little creatures here on the planet Earth? Why would he even lower himself to do such a thing? Amen? So the angels themselves are amazed, and they're like, I don't know if they're more amazed or even a little bit appalled. What are these things <laughs> that you, you visit them? You're the Lord of creation. You're the Lord of the entire universe. You're visiting these little ants. I mean, you look at the universe. Just think about that. All the planets and the galaxies and different things that are out there in the, in the known. That's just the known universe that we could see through telescopes. And yet, he visited us. He packaged himself into an earth suit to be one of us, to sacrifice himself for us. I mean, that's just mind-blowing. That the potter 
loves the clay enough to mold it and refine it and breathe life into it and shape it and envision a destiny for it. And even when the, the clay rejected him and fell into sin, amen, the potter still loved the clay enough to say, okay, if the only way to redeem the clay is to do it, now I'll somehow, in a, in a way we can't even grasp, I'll make myself an earthly creature of clay, live a sinless life, sacrifice my sinless blood for them, even though they rejected me, renounced me, and still love them and give them the means of having eternal life with me when their time on this earth has expired. Amen? What a loving God. And how much he loves us and sees something in us. And then even gave us the capability to have dominion over this planet. He didn't have to do that. He could have created the wells and said, all right, you guys are large. You're in charge of the planet. Relatively speaking, once again, you know, if you get outside of the universe and how small a speck the planet Earth is and then how small a speck we are on the planet Earth, there's a lot of creatures that are a lot bigger and more powerful than the man, but yet he chose to make us the creative ones. He chose to make us the ones that are built and made in his likeness. He chose to make us the ones that have his attributes, personality and a soul and the means to gain eternal life. The ability to communicate with him on a daily basis that no other creature has. And I'm not to say, here to say that God does not uh, communicate with animals. I'm sure he does. Amen. Hallelujah. But yet none of them have the relationship that you and I have. So that's an incredible thing that we are the handiwork of the potter. And even when we resist... Even when we're not composed the right way, he still loves us enough that he still wants to work with us. And the fact that the thing that's so important about that is that we see the potter in the book of Jeremiah and even in this passage of scripture. He doesn't just speak over us to mold and shape us as he did the planet and the sun. You know, let there be light. He spoke a sun into existence. But when it came to you and I, it says we are the work, we are his workmanship. He puts his hand into the mix. God got himself all up in the mix to the point that he actually became one of us. That's talk, talk about getting your hands dirty. Amen. An eternal God became a mortal man to sacrifice himself when we screw things up worldly. That's really getting your hands dirty in the pottery process. Amen. Hallelujah. And he still continues to work on us and shape us and mold us. And like I said, he has patience with us. Now, I was looking at the process of finishing clay. And I said earlier that water is included in the initial manufacture of clay because if you think, you know, you get solid clay out of the ground, mixed up, ground up flint stones, which are very hard, and try to mix them together, <laughs> you're going to need some serious arm power to try to do the slightest of mixing. And if you've ever been on a construction site where they're mixing cement, to do that by hand is a major job. I mean, you'll be mixing and mixing and turning for a long time to get this stuff smooth enough where you could pour it out to make a sidewalk or something else or, you know, the support of a building. So what they do is they take a machine, but to mix it, what do they do? There goes the water. They mix in enough water till first it's 
too much powder and you, you mix it in and you keep stirring and stirring it. Is it too thick? Add some more water. Oh, now it's a little too thin. Add a little more powder. And then you finally get it to that perfect mixture that will produce what you want to do. So it's the same thing with the manufacture of clay. They, they mix in water into it till it gets the right consistency. But even after they've gone through that process of mixing it and then they run it through the manufacturing process and then they press it down to get the excess water out of it, even after they've, after they've pressed it, clay is porous, so it still has some moisture, some water that's still inside of it. So you might wonder, why do they have to heat the clay and why do they have to heat it up gradually? But the reason is, even though the clay seems to be solid and it's pliable, it actually still has a lot of moisture or water that's inside of it. So even though you've shaped it to perfect it, you have to heat it. And you can't just put it on the highest level of heat. Because if you do, the water that's inside of the clay will turn into steam and it will explode once it starts to harden. So what a potter will do is he'll shape it and then he'll heat it up gradually so that the steam lets off and evaporates gradually and then it starts to get hardened through the process and it finally comes out as the completed work. That reminds me of how we are spiritually. Sometimes God has to put pressure on us and God has to mold us and refine us. And unfortunately, we never like it, but sometimes we got to go through some fiery, fiery trials, some pressing situations that weigh upon us. Or we feel like we're in a, a situation where fiery darts are coming our way or heat is coming on us and I can't take it. But I'm here to tell you today that even though you might feel the heat, God doesn't allow enough heat in that you will explode. If you explode and it's really in God, that means that somewhere in that mix, you're not taking in the fullness of God. Because if God is really over the process and you're really seeking him and getting in his face and, and praying to him and asking him for peace and coming back to him as much as you need, even though it might seem to be a heated process and a lot of pro pressure upon you, it's not going to get to the point where you're going to explode and lose your mind or have a mental breakdown. God will give you the grace to get you through the process despite how heavy it may seem to be. And that's the thing he'll do. One of the things I saw in the finishing of clay is that, at least in the illustration I read, it says that there were seven stages. Just think about that, seven stages. God's perfect number is seven. Seven stages of the heating and cooling process to take a pliable soft clay into the place where the heat gradually rises, all the excess water is evaporated, but not turned into this explosive you know, amount of steam that just causes fragments to go all over the place. And then at the hottest level, they call it the centering stage. This is at the fifth level. It's at this point where the clay actually gets fused and it gets transformed into a ceramic material. So we hate the heat. Let's be honest. We don't like the heat. We don't like being in a fiery furnace. But it's actually the hottest level of heat that finally perfects you and gets you to that place where you're the completed process. Amen? So we don't like the heat. But the heat turns you into something that could be used. And then the final two stages are called vitrification and maturation with the final process being the actual cooling process. Like I said, we don't necessarily like it, 
but it's something that at times we have to go through. We see in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Notice this. He tells us, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. That fiery trial is two things. First of all, we see the heat, the fiery trial, or difficulty, or test, but it talks about that. It says, it's the fiery trial which is to try you. It's basically to prove your integrity, prove your devotion. We don't necessarily want to, to think about, oh, i got to prove that I'm loyal to God. But it's very easy to so, say, oh, I worship you, Lord. I love you, God. I love you with all my heart. When you're walking around three meals <laughs> or more, <laughs> great bed, cars, jobs going good, neighbors treating you right, Everybody in the family is getting along. It's very easy to say, oh, I love God. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good when everything's going well. But when your neighbors <laughs> flatten one of your trees, <laughs> when they mowed the lawn or mulched it by accident, when they cut the lawn, <laughs> or the people at work undermine you on purpose to try to keep you from looking good before the boss or getting promotion. I mean, when these things are happening, that's where the fire comes in that tests you to see, are you really and genuinely as devoted to God as you thought you were? Those are the things that really test you. Amen? I remember, you know, when I went through the, the surgery and everything, and then I went immediately from that into a time of financial, like the worst financial trial of, of um, my career and marriage, my life, you name it. I mean, literally the stakes were that high where we could have, you know, at one point they're trying to say, you got to sell your house. So that was grievous, and it was coming right out of me having surgery. Amen? But in that time, I was like, once I got to the point, when I first had the surgery, I was only supposed to go up and down the steps once a day, they told me, which having a split-level house, not a problem. As soon as I get up the stairs in the house, I ain't going downstairs anyway. So that part was easy. But I got to the point after like a few weeks, like, okay, I'm going to start taking daily walks to try to build up my, my strength again in my body. So I start taking walks, and I would just, I wouldn't just walk, but I will walk and pray. And if I ran into neighbors, I would communicate, you know, converse with them and things like that. And I just remember, like, I was coming home almost every day on the phone about four hours just trying to, like, save the house. Four hours plus a day, every single day frustration after frustration after frustration fax paperwork fax copies oh we don't have that that department has it 20 30 minutes of holding talk to them okay i'd like to talk to you about the paperwork but we don't have the paperwork they have it i just got the phone with them they said you have it no no they're wrong they have it 30 minutes of holding (laughs) They said, you have it. No, no, no. They're wrong. They have it. I just got the phone with them. They said, you have it. No, they don't have it. Then you go back again. We never got any application. <laughs> what? <laughs> Reapply. <laughs> the whole process. I mean, it was crazy. So it was like walking and praying, though, that got me through that. See, it would be easy for me to say, I love God. I trust God. God's all this or that. When I had a full bank account, didn't have surgery, didn't have this or that. But it was when I was in the midst of all that mess. 
and that hardship and all the uncertainty. Amen? That's why I really had to say, do I truly believe in this thing that I've been pronouncing and teaching and preaching for all these years? Do I truly believe that black and white and red that I've been telling everybody else for all these years? And I'm here to say today that, that through the fiery trial, I didn't like it. But when God finally spoke to me, the peace that came over me, and then the miraculous things that he immediately brought into play. I mean, once God finally spoke, he said, he, he brought back to my recollection. When I walked up to the, in, the steps in my house the very first time, my hit, foot hit that top step, and my spirit was like, ah, I'm home. God literally replayed that event in my mind. And he said, from the moment you got in this house, you anointed this house and dedicated it to me and the use of your, my kingdom. He said, you think I'm going to let you lose that house? And I was like, I'm done worrying. I'm done. That was for me. But then to back up what he said, within, I think, a day or so, this guy calls me up. Hey, man, you know how I've been talking about I need this website for my business? And he'd been going back and forth and had to settle a lawsuit with an old partner that was a drug addict that he had to break the relationship and bank accounts clear and money not stolen, all these different stuff he had to go through. All of a sudden, I'm about to go to Florida. Before I go, man, I'm going to drop you a deposit on this website and get this project started. And he just kept doing. Then he came back from Florida. He had to go somewhere else for two weeks. He said, you know what, man? He said, uh, let me drop you another check. I said, dude, we're not even at the point. He said, no, 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 man. He said, I'll be over in a little bit. And I ain't talking about $50. I'm talking about three zero type checks or like a two and a five, you know, minimum like 25. This guy was dropping me checks. I'm just like, it's God. Amen. But if I had not professed him and who he was and what he was going to do, that would not have occurred. I'm sure that would not have occurred. Amen. But we see here in this verse, it says, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to test you. So we don't like to get tested. But when the test comes, will you survive the test? Amen. Will you still come out on the other side of the test, pronouncing and professing the same things that you did prior to the test? You know, all the students in here will understand that you go through the curriculum and there's a couple forms of learning. You could do rote learning where you just parrot back or mimic back what they told you. Oh, 1942, blah, blah, blah. You know, you just, all these different things and facts you could quote. But you ever had a class where you weren't really into it? So you learned just enough to get the answers right on the test. And the day after the test, they tried to like dialogue you about it. You'd be like, I don't know. What it's just like you pass the test and brain empty. Amen. That's because you learned it either in cramming mode or rote mode where you're just parroting it back, but you don't really grasp it. Because, see, once you grasp it, it stays with you. And see, it's the same thing with the word of God. We know how to, like, say the right phrase. God good all the time. All the time, God is good. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord, saints. Walk through the church. We know how to do all that stuff. Amen. But it's quite another thing to dress the right way, to say the right things, to know the catchphrases, to know when to stand up and sit down, to know how to, to jam to that spiritual song and do this for that other song and pass out when the person lay. We know how to do all that stuff. But the proof of your devotion and love and true understanding of God is when everything seems to be falling apart in your life. And it ain't about ritual anymore and it's not about fronting and looking the right way, but it's just like God it's only me and you in this battle, but I know you're going to get me through it. That's when your faith has been tried and tested. Amen? Hallelujah.
Thank you, Jesus. The thing I like about this, I don't want to forget this. It says, think it not strange. Don't think it's strange what you're going through. The stuff you're going through is something that, in some shape, form, or fashion, everybody goes through. So none of us are exempt, and none of us are necessarily more prone to, unless we have something in our life that's causing us to be prone to. But I think like the word of encouragement that he has at the beginning of this. Before he tells you, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. He says, don't think it's strange. But before he even talks about it, he says, beloved. Sometimes we need to know that. Amen. When you're going through a trial and tribulation, when you're going through something that has your heart aching or your mind is full of confusion. Sometimes you just need to know, like. No matter what I'm going through, no matter how strange and no matter how hot or how much pressure I'm feeling, I still need to hold on to the word that God considers me beloved. Amen? Because there's times in life where stuff will happen and you'll be like, man, nobody understands. Nobody cares. I'm in this by myself, but God is saying to us, before I even tell you what could happen, it ain't strange, and it's being allowed to test you, but pass the test. Before he even gets to the point of identifying what could happen to you, he says, beloved amen he's calling you out by name and he's basically telling us yes it can happen yes it can test you but don't let it fool you into thinking that i don't view you as somebody that is is beloved in me amen the trial does not define god loving you any less in other words he can never love you less highly and that's why he tells us something strange can happen something hurtful or confusing can happen, but really you're just being a partaking of Christ's sufferings. And you can rejoice in the fact that I'm going to get you through. Hallelujah. And that should be something that gives you exceeding joy. Now, um, I talked about before the resistance of the clay, the composition of the clay, the handiwork of the potter, the finishing process of the clay. One of the things I will really want you to have in mind, too, is the vision for the clay amen the vision what does God God see in the clay and when you think about clay on a daily basis like I said I have clay in my yard so I want to see clay I don't have to go I only have to go to the craft store I can just go outside with my hand a spade or shovel there's clay (laughs) very easy for me to find so clay is something that is very very common it's not like gold silver and platinum precious jewels and things like that it's Clay, pretty common. But although clay is common, it is actually unique in the fact that you can use it in a variety of ways. You can use, throughout history, it was used for clay tablets. It was used for ammunition for slingshots in warfare. And even now, sometimes it's used to make bricks for construction, wall and floor tiles, pottery items, Cookware and plates, you know, ceramic stuff comes from clay. Musical instruments have been made from clay. Uh, Industrial processes such as paper making and chemical filtering use clay. Uh, It's used for safety. It's used to seal dams and landfills. And here's the thing you may not know, but clay is actually used internally for medical purposes to soothe upset stomachs and to end diarrhea. So clay is used all over the place. You might be using clay and don't even know it. Amen? So it's basically very common, but in a sense, it's kind of like the wonder substance. Amen? It's used in a lot of places. 
You see here in Romans 11, 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who have known the mind of the Lord or who have been his counselor or who have first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Hallelujah. The depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways finding out. You know, we see here, as I just mentioned, that clay could be used in a variety of ways. Construction, medical, you know, uh, pottery, cookware, all these different ways that clay could be used. So even though it seems to be common, it's, it's very, very useful in a variety of ways. So if we look at God being the heavenly potter, and then it says here that the depth of the riches of both his wisdom and knowledge are unfathomable or unsearchable, then even though you may think of yourself as being something common, God might be something, seeing something very unique if only we allow ourselves to be massage molded, repro- reproved, refined, tested, guided to be what he has called us to be. You might say, like, well, I'm only clay, but... How about the person who has the upset stomach? Amen. They liking the clay in the moment that they're using it. <laughs> you may not think clay was a great thing back during the times where they used it in a war. But for the guy that made clay balls that he could put into a slingshot to kill the enemy, come and invade his town, clay was a very important and useful and even life-saving thing. You may not think clay is all that wonderful, but if you use it in construction and it keeps your home up, and that, when that storm comes in, whether it's a sandstorm or some kind of heavy rains, you love clay in that moment, amen? So God loves all of us and treasures all of us, but only he may know exactly how he wants to package and use us. Hallelujah. So instead of us saying, like, why did you make me thus, or why didn't you do this or that? Instead, maybe we want to look at God and say, okay, well, I know you want to mold me. I know you want to shape me. I know you want to paint me or... Or, or make me into something that maybe I don't want to be right now, but show me how you're doing your work in me. Show me how to yield to you and allow the imperfections to get pulled out. And I'll give you the glory that you know what is best for me. You know what you've built me for. And I want to thank you that even though I may not understand it right now, you're going to complete the process in me and it's going to be a good and useful work. Amen. That's an important thing. I think all of us want to be useful in God's kingdom. We see here the thoughts of God, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the thoughts that I think of you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. See, people can have thoughts about you, amen? I mean, y'all women, y'all are really accustomed to that. Walking down the street, men got thoughts of you all the time. And even the thoughts of an expected end, but it ain't the right kind of end. <laughs> See, God has the thoughts towards you, but it's the right kinds of thing. It won't hurt you, won't abuse you, it won't use you. It'll only produce something that is fruitful out of your life. Like I said, you can have family members, co-workers, and things like that. They have thoughts of you to get you to expect the end. If I do this to them or I say this to them, it's going to produce this result where they're going to be all messed up or I'm going to set them up for the kill. See, they have thoughts for you to get you to expect the end. But 
God says, no, I have thoughts for you to get you to expect it in. And it's only going to produce joy and peace and a sense of contentment in your life. Wow, God's thoughts are incredible. We see here thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And that's a good thing that's important in terms of the potter. He gets us to expect it end, an anticipated end, not a surprise. You're not going to get to the end of your life and God say, how did they get there? Whoa, I didn't know they had that in them. No, the whole time God is working and reworking to get you to exactly where he wanted you to be. And the only thing that gets in the way of that, unfortunately, is us the clay fighting and resisting against the Lord, our maker. And that's the final point I have for today. The final result depends upon the clay. Do you realize that when the clay goes through the process of being molded and refined too many times, it can actually lose its adhesive properties? Amen. I'll say it again. When the clay goes through the molding and refinement process too many times, you know, it's been squeezed too many times. It's been shaped too many times. You take it lumps and try it again and again and again. It can finally get to the place where it loses its as adhesive properties. Why? Because the water that was in it eventually dries up. So in other words, the clay's got to be put to use at some point. You can't just be clay all your life. And that's it. <laughs> while that water is still in you, while there's still the opportunity to mold and refine and shape and get those lumps out, you've got to yield to the process and say, Lord, do your work in me. Because I don't want to get to the place where I'm so dried up or hard of heart and stubborn that it finally gets to the place where I either explode from the steam of the things that I go through in terms of fiery trials or I splinter into fragments that are totally worthless because I lost my adhesion. Amen? We want to allow God to mold us while we still can. Last week, I used Romans nine twenty through 24, where I said, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay? Of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another to dis dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us, whom he called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles? So who are we? Amen to a reply against God the potter. Why'd you make me this way? How are you going to say, why'd you make me this way? Or how'd you do it? Or who are you to make me this way when he's the one that is the potter molding the clay? You know, going down to the shop, if he's saying I'm making a vase for a king, who are you to say I shouldn't be the vase for the king? <laughs> On the other side of the coin, if you're meant to be the water jug for the maiden, who's to say you shouldn't be the water jug? I mean, you're the clay. You need to be resilient and be flexible. And we see here, at the end of the day, the clay has a choice in terms of the potter. Are we going to keep fighting up against him and saying, why have you made me thus? You didn't do it right, God. You know, because at, at the end of the day, if we don't allow ourselves to yield to the molding and reshaping and, and refinement of the Lord, it says here, the potter has power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. 
I don't think any of us want to be a lump that finally, like, you know what, I just, I've worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked, and you won't bend. And now you're dried up, and now you're bitter, and now you're hard-hearted, and you're shattered, and you're just a vessel of destruction. I can't use it for anything. I think we all want to be something that God says, ooh, this is a vessel of honor. Look how beautiful it is. I've refined it. I've centered it, taken it through the multiple levels of heat. Finally, I turned it and hardened it into to ceramic. And that's the thing. Through the, the, the fire, as it goes through multiple levels of heating and that water evaporates, when it hardens during that centering process, it actually changes its structure from clay over to ceramic. See, this is a transformation. We don't like the heat because I don't want to be in a fire, but the heat transforms you into something that is beautiful and useful, has a glisten to it, and now you can paint it and put it on a shelf with flowers in it or make it a support of a building. It makes you useful, amen? And then finally, I just want to share Romans eleven twenty nine. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. I said before that the potter is long-suffering. So we may choose to give up on ourselves like, oh, I messed up one time too many or oh, I just hate my life. I hear, you know, it seems like the younger generation. That's something I, I see on Facebook and stuff like that. Oh, I hate my life. Like, you need to stop speaking stuff that you might later on start believing. Amen. Hate your life. How do you hate your life? I mean, you've been blessed with your life. You should love your life. You should treasure your life. You should treasure yourself. I'm not talking about pride, but you should love yourself. Amen? Just from the fact that God saw fit to put you here on this planet. You should love yourself. Amen? And we see here that in his graciousness and his loving kindness, we may mess up a thousand times, but it says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. In other words, God will not change his mind. You might say, I'm never going to be what he called me to be. I'm going to fight you to the day I die. But from his perspective... He loves us, and he still says, I'm not going to take back what I called you to be and what I called you to do. Amen. You might walk away from it. You might even choose, like, to deny Jesus and end up in hell. But God, from his perspective, the potter looking at the clay, he loves you, and he has a purpose and plan for your life. And he's going to do everything in his power to try to get you positioned to make you into that vessel that he wants you to be. So the choice is upon us. But the heart of the potter is he never gives up on us and he will exhaust himself to try. Well, exhaust is like the human word. God never gets exhausted. He will do anything in his power to try to get us positioned where we should be so we can end out our lives. So he would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But we as a clay could say, I'm not going to do it. And that's a sad thing because the potter loves the clay. Amen. It's not just something to use and discard. He loves the clay enough to keep working with it, even when the clay's fighting him. So why don't we try giving the Lord? If we fought him before, why don't we try yielding to the potter and say, you know what, I don't understand why you made me this way, but you know what, go ahead. Go ahead. Take out my lumps. Take out my imperfections. Take that lump out of me that I'm trying to hold on to so I could be what you called me to be. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. The potter. Amen. Hallelujah. Like the army says, be all that you can be. <laughs>
That's even outside the army. Wherever we are in life, we need to be all that we can be. And I'm not talking according to flesh. I'm talking to, according to the spirit, the plan, the purpose, and will of God. Let us be all that we can be in God. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Lord, for all the things you've envisioned for our lives, for all the things you've done in our lives. And we even thank you, Father, that although trials and tribulations from time to time would seem to be something that was hurtful, something that would hinder our lives, we praise you, Father, that even in you allowing those things to come forth in our lives, it was something that was only used to get some of the, 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 the lumps, the cold, the leaven out of our hearts. And we saw... Father, that um, even though we go through them, Lord, your love never changes for us. It's just part of that process, Father, that is not strange according to your word, but something that we all will experience. But we praise you, Father, that with every trial, you've given us a means of escape. With every trial, Father, your love is poured out upon us fervently. And in every trial, Father, we can learn more about you and your nature and also have ourselves more and more purified before you. So we praise and thank you, Father, for this. We thank you, Father, for the work you're doing. If we resisted it before, we ask you right now, Father, to show us the areas where we've been resistant. And Lord, hallelujah, give us the strength to yield those things over to you. And we praise you, Father, that we will see uh, the plan, the promises, and the purpose of our lives fulfilled as you would guide us lord and we thank you father that even though it might be uncomfortable as you take lumps out of us we praise you father that it's only for our own good and we thank you father for this thank you father for positioning us and loving us enough that you never give up on making us a good vessel hallelujah fit it for good use and we praise you father for this in jesus name we pray amen hallelujah thank you jesus thank you lord thank you lord Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.